I'm Kate Young. This is Earth Eats from WFIU in Bloomington, Indiana. That's kind of the joy of kombucha. Every batch is going to be slightly different. The fact that every kombucha is going to be different. I think that that's just something that's incredible. It's like the booch has a mind of its own and every brand and every way that a company brews is going to be a little bit different. This week on the show, we visit with kombucha brewers at Firm Fresh in Terre Haute about their shop in the 12 Points District featuring their effervescent fermented teas on tap. And we talk with a Terre Haute bread baker and grower about flowers, the kind you bake with and the kind you make bouquets with. All that just ahead. Stay with us. Earth Eats, I'm Kate Young. Kombucha will catch you off guard if you've never had it before. We can explain it very thoroughly, but I don't think that will prepare you for your first taste of kombucha. We can say it's a sweet tea that's been fermented, and and so immediately you're thinking, oh, it's going to be reminiscent of tea. It really doesn't taste like tea at all. It's uh, naturally effervescent. It has a little bit of tang to it because it is acidic, so the pH is pretty low on it, which helps no other bad bacteria colonate the beverage, so it's a very safe drink. But being so acidic, it has hints of vinegar to it sometimes. So you've got the fizzy, fizziness, and then you've got the acidity of that vinegar taste. Anthony Gossett is describing kombucha, one of the items on the menu at Firm Fresh in Terre Haute. I'm Megan Gossett, co-owner of Firm Fresh. We've been open here at our location storefront for three and a half months now. And I'm Anthony Gossett, co-owner of Firm Fresh. We're a fermentation bar. So everything that we do has an aspect of fermentation, non-alcoholic. We kind of got into it probably five or six years ago. I had a lot of gut issues. I found kombucha and it really helped me not be on medicine and go into different doctors. So it's been a lifesaver in that aspect. And we brewed at home and really just wanted to share it with the community, you know, like it kind of changed our life overall. So we then we dug into sauerkraut, kimchi, fermented hot sauce, kind of got a lot a lot of things going to get a well-rounded fermentation diet. Firm Fresh has a variety of fermented products available, but brewing kombucha was their first passion. I asked them to explain a little more about what kombucha is. The process of making kombucha, you simply start with a sweet tea batch, and then you add the starter culture, which is called uh, SCOBY, a symbiotic colony of bacteria and yeast. So the yeast consume the sugars, create ethanol. The bacteria eat the ethanol. They consume the ethanol and create a ton of beneficial byproducts for us. And also uh, multiply, so it uh, is rich in probiotic bacteria. And the beneficial byproducts are anti-inflammatory, antioxidant rich, also full of electrolytes, 
just a really uh, awesome beverage that uh, we flavor and make taste great and uh, try to get the community healthier through that. Just a reminder here from your Earth Eats host that claims linking particular foods with specific health outcomes can be complicated. I, of course, wanted to hear more about their kombucha flavors. So we have uh, four staple flavors that we bottle and wholesale at locations around Terre Haute. They are ginger bliss. We use a candied ginger that we steep in our green tea kombucha for 36 hours and then strain it out. So it gives it a very unique flavor. It's not a spicy, punchy ginger flavor. It's our most popular. And then we have a peach, lemonade, and orange. Those are kind of our staples. We use organic fruit juices or organic fruit for everything we do. And then at the tap room here, we're able to experiment more, and that is kind of my forte. Like, that's what I love, to be in the kitchen creating. We've done, like, a lavender thyme honey. We try to use raw local honey from around Terre Haute. And any dried herbs from our garden. Really, that's just being in the kitchen, talking to each other, and creating is a lot of fun. We did a our first savory flavor about a month ago. It was a tomato basil. It turned out really good. We got our uh, basil, organic basil, from White Violet Center out at St. Mary's, and tomatoes from our garden, and just created, and it was it was good. It made a made a really good Bloody Mary mixture as well. <laughs> Megan and Anthony started the business a few years ago and quickly found a receptive audience. In 2019, we were starting the the spring of 2019, um, just brewing at home. And we were having a lot of fun doing it, a lot of fun creating different flavors. And we were just giving it away to our friends and family. And they seemed to really like it. So we had free time that summer, and we decided to sign up for the Terre Haute Farmer's Market. So we started our first farmer's market with 12 bottles of kombucha, a one-gallon batch, just to see how it would go. It was just going to be a little fun hobby, and it took off. Um, So we continued through 2019 going to the farmer's market, and then in 2020 started wholesaling kombucha. We rented a certified kitchen, so we ramped up production, which was a challenge all in itself. Scaling up kombucha can be a headache, but uh, we worked through it, figured it out, and we started wholesaling to eight locations in Terre Haute. And at the end of 2020, we were trying to decide what route we wanted to go. There was an opportunity for a storefront and we decided to go for it. So in March of 2021, we signed the lease and proceeded the build out. We did 95% of everything ourselves here. Uh, Meg is great at decorating, so she put her spin on everything, and it turned out amazing. So we're just having a lot of fun getting to meet new customers and then experimenting with flavors and new fermented products. I'm always curious about what drives someone to want to start a business. But in this case, I wanted to hear more about why they made the jump from selling wholesale to opening a storefront especially in the midst of a pandemic. A big part, we have a daughter who just turned 12 and we wanted more family time and kind of to be our own bosses. And we really just saw an opportunity and thought, hey, like now's the time, you know, everything is never going to be perfect and lined up in the correct way. So we just kind of jump off the cliff is kind of what we say and signed signed a lease and just decided to go for it and so far 
Um, we're back to wearing masks in here, and it's been okay. Everybody's been very accepting, and mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, we've had struggles to deal with uh, via COVID, but uh, you know we've overcome. Our customers are are really accepting of any changes we put into place, and they're more than willing to follow the the protocols that we have. And we try to make this as safe as an environment as we possibly can. I would say for me personally, we loved the interaction at the farmer's market, getting to talk to people. I guess our target market, you know, if somebody asks us that, it it's wild. It's all over the place. We have a lot of older retired individuals that are f- coming and filling growlers every week because they feel better drinking the kombucha. And so we really loved that communication with each and every the couples or the whoever they were families and you miss that at wholesale you're you're taking the bottles you're dropping them off and like see you later you don't get to talk to anybody that's purchasing your stuff and explaining anything about it so for me I think that that's that's kind of the difference there and I wanted that firm fresh occupies a key position in an area known as 12 points an historic business district currently undergoing revitalization in Terre Haute. Uh, Everybody that lives in 12 Points has been yearning for this to come back to life. Uh, Back in the 50s and the 60s, it was the place to be. There were every kind of shop imaginable, uh, things for kids to do, adults to do, a movie theater, and that all just kind of deteriorated, and the the area was in ruins. So there's been a 12 points revitalization project going on for a few years now, and it's really picked up steam within the last year or two. So the building we're in has three different shops, and we're all open for business. So we're the first ones uh, in the area here to really get going. The owners of the building have bought the old hotel behind us and uh, plan on having a lot more shops in that. So it's going to be kind of a destination area. You're just going to make a day of it. You're going to come walk around shops to shop and get a coffee here, get a pie over here, and get a pint of kombucha over here. We're, we're just a tight-knit community, and we are always willing to help each other out. Um, there's always something going on, some festival, some event that we're all taking part in. And if anybody needs help, we're, uh, we're there for each other. The goal of the revitalization was 12 businesses in 12 months. That was for 2021. And people were like, oh, that's ambitious. But so far, people have made announcements and they're working on it. And yeah, we were, this building was kind of the first three to be open. It just feels like all the pieces of the puzzle are together and so many people want to help with it. And then the community, whether they live in 12 points or not, they're coming to support us because they want all of this to succeed and everybody to work together continually. The building has all of the charming features of an historic storefront. High ceilings, big windows, interesting materials and finishes. And their space has a special feature that Megan and Anthony have worked to their advantage. First of all, the vault is a, uh, an original vault from the 1920s, 1930s. The location we're in used to be Swander's Savings and Loan. So the vault is, uh, I would say, about nine foot by eight foot. And uh, it has the original door on it. It looks really awesome. So that's the first thing that's going to catch your eye. 
And then you'll walk through the doorway into the vault and we have the walls covered in maps. Uh, we have a uh, sectional in here. You can fit uh, about six to eight comfortably in here uh, if you wanna have a get together. And it's quiet, it's private, it's warm. Uh, it has a really warm, cozy feel to it. So we're, we're really happy people. And then the, uh, the building itself is uh, just as old as that, obviously. So it's got a lot of character. We've taken the plaster off of the pillars and exposed the brick. We have the original floor. We scraped the glue from the carpet off of it and polished it. And uh, it's still there in all of its glory. And it complements the uh, space really well. Yeah, we're at corner space and the windows were key because we wanted the aesthetic of plants everywhere. The first goal before we even purchased one thing was we want this to feel like you're not in Terre Haute. We're from here, not that we don't love this town, but we needed something completely different. So we wanted a vibe, uh, a big city vibe in a small town. The patio was important. We fenced that in. There's chalk out there for kids to play, be safe. Hanging swings were probably very early on something that I had to have in front of the big windows. And I, d I just wanted everything to be comfortable. I wanted it to feel like it'd been here forever with the vintage items that we incorporated. Yeah, bohemian, eclectic, very maximalist <laughs> in decor. <laughs> Having kombucha on tap can make it feel more like a bar than a cafe, but there's no liquor license here. Family-friendly was a first priority for us because we have a daughter, and you, you get the feel because it's on tap. You can feel a part of maybe uh, drinking an adult beverage, but it is non-alcoholic. So for the sober community or people that are going to be the driver, that's kind of our next step is to get this on tap at bars mm. for people to have in between their beverages because it's hydrating and electrolyte uh, rich, but also for somebody who wants to go out but doesn't want to drink. Yeah, that's a big part of where we're moving with it. There, there are quite a few people who don't have any issues that just come and they, they enjoy the twang of the beverage, so to say. Uh, it's, it's, it's a whole different experience drinking kombucha, especially if you've never had one. We get to see the look on people's faces, uh, good and bad, you know. <laughs> Some people uh, love it right off the bat when they've never had it, and then other people take a little bit of time. And Firm Fresh is more than just kombucha. We do hot sauce. We go mild to wild with the hot sauce. I am a wild hot sauce fan. I love the extreme heat, but also has to have some flavor. And uh, if uh, anybody's out there that is like me, it's hard to find a, a really good balance of those two things in the, in the store. So I set out to make the perfect hot sauce. And then we just continue to make different hot sauces, always experimenting. So we have a hot sauce for everybody. And then we do two types of kraut, uh, sauerkraut. So we do a unbeatable, which is cabbage, beets, caraway seed, and garlic. So it's a purple kraut by the end of the fermentation. And then we do a verde, which is a cabbage, jalapeno, cilantro, garlic, and onion. Kimchi, we pride ourselves on having some really good kimchi. Uh, so we make that, and normally we have it in stock here, but it's, it's hard to keep on the shelves. It's pretty popular. And then like salad dressing, like Meg said. And then we, we also do food items here. So we do pop-up food items. We do soups, chilies. We have charcuterie boards available on the daily and 
kind of whatever we feel like that week, we'll post it on social media and, and see if anybody wants to come try some. I first learned about Firm Fresh from Candace Minster at the White Violet Center for Eco-Justice. She recently started baking sourdough bread to sell, and the folks at Firm Fresh had something to do with that. We took her sourdough class and loved the idea of it, but we were like, this is like having another child. <laughs> like, how she makes it sound so easy, and she's just got it, this system, and I feel like I can ferment all kinds of things, but sourdough just was not in my wheelhouse. So that was kind of a conversation. Hey, do you have time? Could you make this? Because this pairs exactly with what we want to do. So every charcuterie board gets two slices or four slices, depending on the size of board of sourdough. And seasonally now we make uh, fermented pumpkin butter. So it's similar to an apple butter, but that's great as well. So we'll do a couple slices of her bread with a little thing of pumpkin butter. just as a little snack. So yeah, we're very thankful for Candace and, and her fresh sourdough bread. We'll hear from Candace Minster about her new bakery, Terra Fleur, later in the show. As Megan and Anthony have mentioned, there's been an element of experimentation with Firm Fresh. This approach led to a product that they previously might have thought of as a mistake. Kombucha's, it's very needy. It requires your attention, especially at the end of the seven to 10 day fermentation period. If you don't catch it at the right time, it becomes too acidic and it actually turns into vinegar. So if you let kombucha ferment as long as it'll go, we let our kombucha vinegar ferment for three months, you're left with a really flavorful, unique vinegar that's still probiotic rich and uh, has a lot of organic acids in it which are beneficial for your body. So we used to get kind of upset with ourselves when we would miss that, that perfect window of our kombucha but now we've started using our kombucha vinegar in everything, um, such as the shrubs. We also add it to our hot sauce. We have what salad else? dressing. Salad dressing. So yeah. We make a salad dressing specifically with our kombucha vinegar. It's called Sunshine, and so it's a really great vinaigrette, awesome on top of salads and wraps, mm-hmm. French fry dip, all kinds of things. <laughs> in case you're wondering what a shrub is, I asked Megan to explain. It's a house-made fruit syrup. One of our most popular right now for the fall is apple pie. So we get local apples from an orchard, add sugar, and they ferment for 36 hours. We strain the apples and then add kombucha vinegar. So it's a two-to-one ratio, double the vinegar and then the fruit syrup. And then it's a drink over ice. We add two ounces of that syrup, top it with sparkling water, The apple pie gets a shake of organic cinnamon on top. You stir it, and it he he says it tastes like apple pie filling. It's it's bad for you, but it's actually not. One of their newest menu items made from their own vinegar is fire cider. Fire cider is kind of an age-old tradition. I I explain it to people in the sense of like the hot toddy remedy or elderberry syrup. It's traditionally made and steeped with apple cider vinegar. Hot peppers can be jalapenos, habaneros, herbs, peppercorns, citrus of some sort, oranges, lemons. That's the the basic. You can kind of get get wild and add different things, but we decided to do it and make it with our kombucha vinegar. So very reminiscent and flavored apple cider vinegar and acidity. 
So we steeped it for the first time for a month. We used habaneros, onions, orange, lemon, peppercorns, cinnamon sticks. Ginger, horseradish root, yeah. turmeric root. root. Uh, it's just got a ton of root vegetables in there with a lot of beneficial compounds. After that month, we packaged it and we sell it in eight ounce bottles and 16 ounce bottles. You can take a tablespoon of it a day. It should last you quite a while. Finally, I wanted to talk to them about the challenges of scaling up production of their products since fermentation can be somewhat unpredictable. When we scaled up the first time, you just, it's not like doubling a recipe. I mean, it was very clear early on that you have to figure out this. The time is going to be different, the amount of days, the temperature fluctuation. And now we're brewing 80 gallons like every six days. So trying to get that right, and we have far more of a process, I would say, with testing the pH and stopping it and knowing that if it's refrigerated, it will kind of slow that down. So that's the most all of our products, except for our most recent fire cider, everything has to be refrigerated. So that helps us maintain consistency. It's a living product, and it will change flavor and um can be good or bad. It can be fussy sometimes. It does what it wants. Um, And then sometimes there's just no way to control that. So you're kind of at the mercy. Consistency is key, you know, on most as in most aspects of life. But, uh, you know, it's kind of hard to do that with something that has a mind of its own. So we do our best to do a consistent product. But at the same time, that's kind of the joy of kombucha. Every batch is going to be slightly different. Something that's very cool about that, the fact that every kombucha is going to be different. You can have a brand that might be more acidic or might have a bigger punch of a flavor. And I think that that's just something that's incredible. It's like the booch has a mind of its own and every brand and every way that a company brews is going to be a little bit different. We've scaled up since we've even been open here in the last three and a half months, and we got bigger containers. We were brewing in seven-gallon buckets, and then we got uh, 15-gallon containers So we're going about our way and it gets done after about 10 days and we taste it and something was way off and we're like, oh my goodness, we added the amount of tea and sugar and it was completely off. Like we did too much and the water ratio wasn't right. And so now we triple check each other when it's brewing day of like this much. Okay, how much loose leaf tea? Yeah, yeah. yeah it was our our muscle memory was taking over on the ingredients that we had been used to, and uh, we just went with the flow. And so, yeah, that was uh, that was scary. I think that was after our our first week open. So we yeah. were we were in panic mode, but we we did have backup batches, so it was all okay, and we learned from that one very quickly. After our conversation in the vault, it was time to give this stuff a taste. Anthony lined up three samples for me from their tap. Pumpkin, ginger, and apple cider. Okay, I'm gonna try the pumpkin first. Yeah, you're definitely getting that, you know, I wanna say vegetal, like that kind of, um, yeah, I'm tasting pumpkin, but it's not like a sweet pumpkin pie spice kind of a deal at all, but definitely has that feeling of pumpkin okay and then this one's the ginger that's right i'm gonna save that one for last because i love ginger okay so this one's apple pie uh, apple or cider. apple cider okay that's really nice that has kind of a classic flavor yeah the apple is really crisp and refreshing 
Yeah, the ginger's so good. Thank you. Yeah, I, I think that's my favorite. Awesome. Yeah, that's it's really good. So crisp and, but it doesn't have that really strong bite of ginger either. It's more, yeah, it tastes very fresh. So we, we like using green tea kombucha because it, it aids in the smoothness. Yeah, these aren't, I mean, they're definitely tangy. They've got a tartness, but it's not like vinegar at all. It's really nice. Yeah, very clean. Thank you. Thank you for trying. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much for letting me try it. That's great. That was Anthony Gossett in the tasting room of Firm Fresh in Terre Haute. I spoke with Anthony and his wife and co-owner, Megan Gossett, about their new fermentation bar located in the historic 12 Points District. Find out more on our website, eartheats.org. Coming up, we talk with Candace Minster about her new bread-making endeavor, Terra Fleur. Stay with us. Minster at the White Violet Center for Eco Justice near Terre Haute. And what are you currently doing? I am currently mixing a batch of dough that is going to become sourdough bread. This is the standard country style loaf that I make, and this particular batch is going to go to Firm Fresh Fermentation Bar, which is on the north side of the town here. And they've been using these for their charcuterie boards and soups and and whatnot and then I have other batches that I'm working on that are also going to be for sale in our farm store here at White Violet Center and this is a workout so if I sound out of breath (laughs) it's because I'm mixing a lot of dough and I mix it by hand because it's harder it takes more work but you can get a good sense for the dough if you're touching it. So lots of things can affect it. Atmospheric temperature, you know, is it a humid day? Is it a dry day? Is it cold? When you get a sense, I feel like so much of baking bread, especially long fermentation sourdough, which is what I do, so no additional commercial yeast are in it, a lot depends on just how it's behaving. You just can't, it's a live thing, so you can't just say, Two hours, it'll be done. It's the way it touched, the way it feels when you touch it, the way it behaves. <laughs> Candace Minster is a regular guest on Earth Eats since back when Annie Corrigan was the host. She served as the garden manager at the White Violet Center for Eco-Justice at the Sisters of Providence St. Mary of the Woods campus in Terre Haute. She's been growing food there and coordinating their fiber arts program for many years. She introduced Annie to their alpacas, talked about marketing ginger to chefs, shared the details of a cucumber grafting experiment with me a couple of years ago, and gave me pointers on successfully growing eggplant. After 17 years of growing food, 
she recently switched to cut flowers when she discovered a demand for their vibrant bouquets at the Terre Haute Farmer's Market. We used to have a little patch. It was 15 by 15 feet. And then a few years ago, I doubled it to 30 by 30. Because I was like, you know, these little jars, mason jars of flowers, seem to go pretty quickly. So what if I grew some more? And then I did, and they continued to sell really well. So then when we decided to trans transfer away from the CSA model, we're like, well, let's put more into cut flower production. I knew that I wasn't going to be able to dedicate the time and energy into that and still manage everything else. So I presented an option. <laughs> I was like, hey, I think this would work. What do you say I become the flower lady? <laughs> so the, um, our director was amenable to it. The sisters were amenable to it. So we decided to give it a go. And that's what we've been doing. So now I'm the officially the flower and fiber arts coordinator. So I still manage our fiber art program. That hasn't changed. I've been doing that for quite a while too. But now I just look after our, our flower patch. So now we have a, an eighth of an acre in flower cut flower production. And so the last two seasons, that's been my focus. So we do mixed bouquets for farmer's market sales, for our farm store sales. I sell to direct to florists and to grocery. Basler's Market in Terre Haute has been awesome. All through the growing season, they're buying our mixed bouquets and having them for sale in their grocery stores, in addition to using within their own floral services. And I do some special orders on campus. Lots of folks have loved ones that are in the healthcare facility that's here on campus, as well as if folks want to send flowers to a sister, then they can do that and we deliver on campus as well. So that's what I've been doing. And so when I did that, I, I moved down from full-time to three-quarter time. And I guess I just wanted to stay busy. So, <laughs> As someone who loves making things and who is used to going all the time, it wasn't long before Candace Minster found herself launching a new project, this time on her own terms. Really, the idea for baking came from uh, Megan and Anthony Gossett, who were farmer's market friends with Firm Fresh. And, you know, we were both vendors at the market for, for years. And then they were getting ready to start their fermentation bar, and they knew they wanted to have these charcuterie boards, and they asked if I would make the bread. And at first I thought that it was going to be too much to try to balance and it was actually my husband who was like, you should do it, go for it. So I talked with the folks here at White Violet Center because we have this commercial kitchen space. So it is inspected so that we can do resale of value-added items like pestos and soups and different things that we have to offer. Now that said, it's busy, like all through the growing season, we're producing quite a bit. But because I'm looking at using it in off-peak times, like before my workday starts, and then at the end of it, it was working out okay for, for me to use this space to produce breads for Megan and Anthony at Firm Fresh, and then also for sale here in our farm store. But it is your, it's your own business. It's, it's not part of White Violet. Correct. It is my own business. So the name TerraFloor, it all <laughs> derived from an Instagram account, of all things. <laughs> 
I had had a personal account for many years. And then once we were starting to do a lot of flowers and I wanted to be able to reach out to folks publicly, but my personal account has like pictures of my kids and, (laughs) you know, so it's like, well, I'm just going to create a public account. And then our new garden manager, John Michael Elmore was, we were brainstorming names and then he came up with Terra Floor. It's kind of a play on Terra Haute and and with the flower. So that's what I did. And I had lots of flower pictures on that. And then when I was thinking of, for the bakery, what my name would be, I was like, well, there's also that play of flower to flower, you know, the kind of flower you pick and then the flower you use to make bread. So just stuck with that name. So to clarify, she shares photos of the flowers she grows with White Violet on the Terra Fleur Instagram account. But the name of her own bread baking business is Terra Fleur. Yeah, so how long has this space been a commercial kitchen? Goodness, I think it's going on three years. Okay, so mm-hmm. not that long. Yeah. Another question I have just from looking around is what kind of oven are you using to bake your bread? I know. Yeah, so that is the, that's the, the hardest part of the whole process is that it's just a home oven. And when I bake, I will bake in a vessel because that creates the ideal environment where the bread is as it gets really hot. If it's in an enclosed cast iron container, um, then it will, some of the steam will start to evaporate and then it can like caramelize itself. So then you can get that nice characteristic bubbly, dark, beautiful artisanal crust. And so then you have the nice soft crumb in the middle, and that's really what I want. So I bake in combo cookers, cast iron combo cookers. So it's um, technically two pieces, a deep skillet and then a shallow skillet, and the shallow skillet can become the lid. And so that's what I bake in. So I can only fit four at a time in the oven. (laughs) But they don't take that long to bake, so I could see how you could still work it out. Yeah, you can do batches. Yeah, subsequent batches. Because once the oven is hot, it's hot. So then, and once the cast iron pieces are hot, they're hot. So I can just keep them, keep them moving that way. And if you've got them in the fridge, the shaped loaves in the fridge, it's not like they're sitting out overproving. Right, exactly, exactly. As we're talking, Candace has been grating fresh ginger from White Violet's garden. She's making a seasonal pumpkin ginger loaf for the farm store. Our pumpkin crop this year was a little limited because it was just a it was just a tricky year for cucurbits in general. So I'm using a canned pumpkin for this, but but I got our ginger. I like to purchase from us when I can. <laughs> well, I'm sure soon you'll be growing your own winter wheat and you know. <laughs> Get a mill going. Yeah, I do sounds... actually have a little mill. I do have a grain mill. Now you're giving me ideas. <laughs> it won't be long. <laughs> I'm talking with Candace Minster, cut flower and fiber arts coordinator at the White Violet Center for Eco Justice in Terre Haute, and the owner of Terra Fleur Bakery. After a quick break, we'll return to our conversation to learn about how Candace discovered her love for baking sourdough. Stay with us.
this is Earth Eats. We're back in the commercial kitchen at White Violet Center for Eco-Justice at St. Mary of the Woods campus in Terre Haute. I'm talking with Candace Minster, who is baking sourdough bread for her new business, Terra Fleur. So I know that you have been baking and teaching baking for a number of years. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how you got into baking or how you discovered your love for baking. Yeah, so... Um, in, in particular bread, I suppose. <laughs> sure, sure. I started baking, it started with just regular bread, like a, you know, commercial yeast, yeasted bread. And then I was a few years out of college and had a house with a kitchen. And so I was like, I'm going to make bread. And I had tried some when I was in college, but I didn't really start until like I had my own home. After a little while, I was like, I'm going to try this sourdough thing. And I found it to be overwhelming because I I would find like one source that would talk about a sponge. And then this one would talk about a soaker. And then this one would talk about a leaven or a fed starter. And, but then there were so many questions that I had. So what does it mean if a starter's fed for (laughs) for one? (laughs) Two, what do I do with all of this? So I just keep adding water and flour and then it's just just growing, and <laughs> this is what this is an unwieldy thing. How much do I throw away? What do I keep? What's a sponge? <laughs> what do all these things mean? And then I would pick up bread books, and Peter Reinhardt was I, the first one where I was like, I felt like I was really starting to get a grip on it, and realizing, oh, okay, a Polish, a Biga. But like basically these things are more or less the same. You're just, it's a little pre-ferment. It's going to create more flavor and interest. And you can do it whether it's sourdough or not. And so I tried my hand at sourdough for a little while. And, uh, and I, it was okay. You know, I was having some decent bread. And then a good friend of mine moved to San Francisco. You know, famous for its sourdough bread. And right around the corner was the tartan bakery from where she lived and people line up (laughs) all the way around the block and so she had said oh you really got to try this bread we need to go here and then I everybody seems to want to stand in line in San Francisco for things (laughs) so and then once I had it I I got it It it's like oh okay I understand now and then the head baker there Chad Robertson came out with a book and so I bought it and it was not I wouldn't say that like I wouldn't advocate for someone who hasn't done baking to pick up that book because it's not user-friendly but because I had had that experience working through Peter Reinhardt and some other sources a wild yeast blog it's not active anymore but you can still find it online and her stuff's incredible and I felt like all of that was creating the foundation so then when I picked up this book, the whole concept of a 20% dough. So that means that you, when you have your starter, that you retain 20% of it, you discard 80% of it, and you take that little 20% and then you feed that again. And so what that is doing is training it to get these nice, smooth, mild, really interesting sourdough flavors, which I, as soon as I did it, 
It's like, well, now this is wonderful. This is what I want. And so that was kind of the light bulb moment for me too, to realizing, okay, I can, I don't have to maintain this huge quantity of starter and waste all this stuff. So I just, this is what I, this is it. This is mine. This has been going for about nine years now. Altogether, it's about half a cup total stuff. So I'll stir it. I'll discard all but a, roughly a tablespoon. Um, at this point, I just do it by eye. And then I feed it with a quarter cup of water and a quarter cup of mixed, roughly half and half whole wheat to bread flour. And so that's how I maintain that. And then that will go into the refrigerator if I'm not actively baking. And then if I know I'm gonna bake, I'll pull it out. And it, I mean, it's so active. I can pull it out in the morning, feed it once, and it's ready to go, yeah. you know, a couple hours later. Yeah. So. Okay, so yeah. you, you kind of found your, your passion for it yeah. by tasting that bread, mm -hmm. learning how to do it, discovering that you could make bread that tasted yes. like that. Yes, and so then I started to have so much fun with it and was like, this is the amazing. <laughs> and, uh, and I had taught the odd bread class here and there for White Violet Center. But then after a little while, I felt like, okay, I got this and I am eager to share it with others. So then I started offering a class, usually the third week of February at White Violet. And then after COVID hit, then I did it last year when I did it at Remotely, we did it over Zoom. And folks just signed up in advance and I mailed them their starters because everybody gets a starter, handout, lots well, of Then you could do a lot more people too. Exactly. So we had folks joining from Texas and Wisconsin and Pennsylvania. And yeah, we had, I think one even went to California. <laughs> so that was pretty exciting. Wow. Yeah. And did people have, are people having success with their lobes? They are. So one of my favorite things about teaching the class is that I tell them, you know, reach out to me when you have questions because you will very likely have them. And if you want to send me a picture or say help, I don't know what's going on here, you know, let me do that. So I have continued to be a resource for folks. And the nice part about that is then people will share their success stories. And so they'll send me a picture and look at this. And that's pretty, that's pretty nice. And I have had folks who have been like they did the class and sometimes they've done the class more than once and then they've gone on to I'll see them at the market or wherever and they'll say oh yeah I'm still baking or I had one person say actually stopped my husband and said that class changed our lives <laughs> now we have such good bread we're making at home all the time and so yeah it's really nice How did you feel when you sold some of your own bread? It was, <laughs> it was really exciting. Yeah, it was really exciting. So I'm fortunate to have a, a very talented, good friend who does graphic design. And she made my logo and labels for me. And then I bought the sleeves to put the loaves in and that first day that I put the stickers on the sleeves and had all the bread in the sleeves and in a basket 
put it in the farm store and then there were flowers that were for sale too. So it was like, I could see the flowers over here, you know, that's my day job. And then the bread, which is my little side gig together. Yeah, it was really gratifying. It was exciting. Yeah, because I know, you know, you've been someone who's, as your job, been doing a lot of creative work, whether it's growing food, tending these incredible gardens and teaching bread classes or making those value-added products mm -hmm. or the, the fiber work that mm -hmm. you do. But I just imagine that there's something a little different about, even if it's at a part-time small scale at sure. this point, that this is your own business, this is your own effort. And yeah, so I, yeah, I just yeah. wondered how that felt different. And, and also for years actually since I've been doing the bread class then people would say do you sell your bread do you sell your bread so folks had been asking me and just friends that I had shared loaves with or that have had it before have said you should really sell this you should really sell this and I think that I have a tendency to I guess undersell myself <laughs> or just feel like oh, I don't know that I could ever do that. I don't know, I don't know. Or that seems like that would be so hard to start your own business, especially a food business. But, you know, I stuck with it. And it was definitely out of my comfort zone mm -hmm. to do that and to seek out, <laughs> okay, legally, what do I need to do? Mm -hmm. What kind of, you know, contacting the health department, getting inspected, getting listed with the state of Indiana as a wholesale producer. All those steps were daunting, and I definitely second-guessed myself along the way, but I stuck it through. And so there's that, a degree of pride that comes with that, too, just that something that would have seemed insurmountable to me or just way out of my comfort zone, you know, that I, that I just stuck with it. And it's like, look at that. I guess I can do things. <laughs> So scaling it up a bit from your home baking, um, how does it feel to you? Do you? Are you still enjoying the process? Is it still exciting to you or does it feel like a labor or, you know, how, how is that feeling? Yeah, no, it, it still feels, it still feels exciting and it still feels exciting and, and like I still bake at home too. So that was, <laughs> that was a question. Yeah. Like, cause my, my kids really, well, everyone in my home really likes my bread and uh, my daughter refers to it as mommy bread <laughs> and I will just improvise when I'm at home. I just, just toss in a little of this grain and a little of this flour and a little of this. So I do quite a bit of that at my, at my house, but for the sake of doing it here, it's like, well, you know, I'm measuring it out and making sure it's consistent. But what's nice is when I'm, I can still do that playing around and just write it down as I'm yeah. playing a recipe testing. <laughs> <laughs> so then I, that's what I did with this pumpkin. For instance, you know, I was making some stuff at home and just playing around with that, brought it in and had coworkers taste it. I think being able to offer some different breads rather than just that standard country loaf is really gratifying and keeps me from, you know, getting bored. But it's never boring because just really enjoy the process and so yeah making things is cool I like it <laughs> so, yeah. yeah I think that's obvious <laughs>
they're using them at Firm Fresh for their charcuterie boards, but are they also selling loaves? No, so if folks want to purchase a loaf, then they come to the farm store. Yeah, and it does, so it tends to sell pretty fast, depending on the week. I have it available on Wednesday. We call it Fresh Bread Wednesday. The store's open from 12 to 5 during the week. So whatever doesn't sell on Wednesday is also you know, available on Thursday. But like with this, having the seasonal batch, those tend to go the fastest. <laughs> so there are some folks who will call the farm store and say, hey, can you hold one for me? I'm coming and uh, you know, we can also do that too. What is your vision for the future of Terra Fleur? You know, right now it's, it's been fun. And I feel like my capacity is, is pretty good. I'd like to be able to offer some more seasonal breads. So one of the things we were talking about is to be able to do some pre-ordering. So like this spiced pumpkin that I've been doing, it's just in the farm store, first come, first serve. In order to try to create and meet some of that capacity, I think pre-ordering will be helpful. So I think that's in the future in the works through our farm store program. And then with Megan and Anthony at Firm Fresh, we've explored the idea of doing smaller bowls that can be like soup in a bread bowl option that they would have. So also kicking around some like sweet goods too. Cause I love to bake all kinds of things. Yeah. Not just <laughs> sourdough. <laughs> I've been speaking with Candace Minster maker of many things, most recently artisanal crusty loaves of sourdough bread through her new business, Terra Fleur. Candace is also the cut flower and fiber arts program coordinator at the White Violet Center for Eco-Justice at St. Mary of the Woods campus in Terre Haute. To learn more about the details of her bread baking process, it might be best to sign up for one of her classes. If she keeps doing them on Zoom, there might be a spot for you. Find links and more at eartheats.org. That's it for our show. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. The Earth Eats team includes Ayoban Binder, Mark Chilla, Abraham Hill, Peyton Knobloch, Josephine McRobbie, Daniela Richardson, Harvest Public Media, and me, Renee Reed. Special thanks this week to Megan Gossett, Anthony Gossett, and Candace Minster. Our theme music is composed by Aaron Toby and performed by Aaron and Matt Toby. Additional music on the show comes to us from the artists at Universal Productions Music. Earth Eats is produced and edited by Kate Young, and our executive producer is John Bailey. Mm-hmm.